spends time with the preacher in the year of one now the lesson is over and the killing's begun hey friends welcome to killer serials i'm tony jones ryan parker we're a couple dudes with PhDs in theology who watch and talk about television, excellent television. We live in the golden age of TV, so why so not? So much good stuff. Too much good it? stuff. So much. There's more than we can get to. We are talking about TV show Preacher, which is on AMC. Sunday nights on at 9. Crazy, crazy popular uh, comic books. And... Um, we're talking about season one, episode seven today. It's called He Gone. We're, it's about Eugene, you know. It's about it, – it starts off the cliffhanger last week. The preacher, Jesse Custer, told Eugene, who was just getting under his skin, go to hell, and Gene disappeared. He went to hell, it yep. seems. And what we, fi- what we find out this episode at the opening reveal is that Cassidy was in the balcony watching it. So he knows what happened. And that's a key, I think, to this entire episode. And I want to get to that. But maybe there's some other sub subplots stuff that we should talk about first. Because I think that interaction between Cassidy and Jesse is something I, I really do want us to spend a little bit of time talking about, Ryan. But yeah. Um, well, Let me. But before that, let's talk about Odin. And I just want to remind you, I know you've got some thoughts on Odin, Quinn Cannon. Odin is the name of the Norse, the ancient Norse oh, god of death. Count on the guy from Minneapolis to, to nail this. So what do you make of uh, the guy named after the Norse god of death? Well, he's clearly, we wondered last week, he's clearly immune to whatever power it is that Jesse has from Genesis. Or if so, not immune, or if not immune, at least he he bends it toward his own ends. Or is the Lord that he's serving a different Lord? Yeah, because remember, we I talked mean, a little bit about that Genesis last week. Is not good. I mean, Genesis is half angel, half demon. So it's ambiguous. I mean, he just is, or it is. Yeah, and it, it, it you know what what Odin Quincannon does to those four executives from the you know Green Energy Company is not that much different from what we saw many episodes ago when the troubled um, the troubled kind of codependent guy goes to his mom's nursing home in Florida and rips his heart out uh, yeah. and <laughs> puts it on the table yeah. in front of her. Where's that guy? Oh, wait, he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> How's his mom doing? Yeah she, yeah, she might be a little shaken. You know, one of the interesting things is uh, I, I don't think we expect – I guess I didn't expect uh, Odin uh, to come back and demand Jesse's land and say he won the bet and he gets the church and all of its land because the last we heard, he said, I'll go serve the Lord. And he looked like he was under the hypnotic trance of Genesis, just like anybody else. And now we see him, he's finished this civil war battle and it's got a tree in it with a hanging figure, and it's very reminiscent of the cowboy that we've seen in a couple earlier episodes. Yes, and yes. you wonder what the tie is between Ratwater and Odin Quincannon. 
He goes yeah. to meet Jesse. He starts by kind of confessing that he's that forsaken his birthright because Quincannon Meat and Power is not um, slaughtering as many animals as it did under his father and grandfather. And it seems like it's kind of struggling financially. And then he yeah. slaps this letter down on the on the table and says to Jesse, you know, I won the bet. I want your church. Yeah. And Jesse's like, well, no, that's that wasn't the deal. I mean, and there, Jesse there, seems a little shocked because he was sure he won the bet. But you can tell there's a little he's a little bit doubtful as well. It's just he's troubled by this whole thing because he doesn't really know if he's won the bet. And quite honestly, how do you prove that someone's become a Christian? Yeah, that's a great point. And what I like about what I like what writers and creators are doing with Quinn Cannon is I, I said to you before we started recording is I'm still not quite sure what his end game is because I don't think it's just the expansion of his business and to regain right. and to, to regain regain kind of an economic standing in the community. And I think there's something deeper about his past that they're not giving us. Or maybe they're only giving us in these very small bites uh, over time. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out over it, the next it, it, it's two It's clearly episodes. more than just Mr. Potter trying to take yeah. over Bedford Falls. Yeah, there's right? something much darker going on there, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I know you're a big Tulip fan. Oh, my gosh. So, Ruth Nega is my new favorite. She's actress. amazing. And, yeah. and have you seen the trailer side note? We should post the link to it, in the, and we will in the podcast. If you haven't seen it, go look for the trailer for the upcoming film, Loving, in which uh, she plays a wife and an interracial couple in the, in the Loving family that was responsible for the, uh, the Supreme Court case. Um, oh. about interracial marriage in Virginia. Okay. That's cool. So we'll, I'll clarify that in the comments in the in the podcast and post that link. Well, tell me this about Tulip. Do, you know, she, she has this interesting little turn in this episode. She's kind of been domesticated over the last several episodes where she, you know, she flew into town, killed a guy or two guys in, <laughs> in her car. Yeah. Then she transitioned from that to running errands for Emily and like uh, picking up the communion wine and folding bulletins. And now she cooks a little supper. It's like a little family dinner Love for yeah. Jesse, Emily, uh, and Cassidy and herself. And the four of them are sitting in the church kitchen. She's cooked a meal, which she's obviously not <laughs> not really competent to do, because she puts vanilla in the uh, in the hash browns and then lights the oven on fire, because she doesn't realize there's alcohol in vanilla extract. I didn't know uh, that either. My <laughs> wife would be disappointed. She's a a very good baker. So this is why I don't bake. Yeah, and so, but I just wonder if you think if there's any. I, I think that's an interesting she, – she's trying to kind of be like a good girlfriend, almost like a good wife, like a good homemaker. Well, I love the fact – I love the fact that she's she's come along, as you said. She she came into town like a – kind of like a hurricane, and she's slowly started to settle down. But in doing so, she's met with this version of Jesse that she doesn't like. Maybe she grows grows to appreciate who he is or is trying to become, but then she starts to see all this other baggage that he's carrying with him, and it's a, another frustrating experience where she can't connect. Yeah, it's like she's becoming more tame and domesticated while he is he's just going at it. The, the title of the show might be about him. You know, he's gone. 
Yeah, like for, he's coming further and further unglued mm-hmm. um, as as he's trying to deal with this Genesis thing within him. So I don't know the spiritual strains. I mean, she's sitting there in church with her feet up, you know, on the back of the pew in front of her. Um, but she is in church and she starts folding chairs right afterward. And then in a very and, – and this very interesting backstory to her where she's taking care – of an old, uh, incapacitated drunk. In fact, yeah, her uncle, she, she, she takes back, she has to, she has to steal back his pants. That's a great little scene. Yeah. They've been, so she's got a little bit of an upright moral. It's, it's interesting. I, I guess we see these different characters and their, and the, the different moral compass that guides each of them. And I guess that leads me to Cassidy because I think he's, so important in this episode. So there's a, you know, the main thing is, as I said, is right at the beginning, we find out that he witnessed Jesse sending Eugene to hell. Yeah. He tries to confront Jesse in the kitchen and say, I saw it. We're best mates. How can, how can I help you? And Jesse blows him off and walks in, goes into the next room to start his Bible study, which is now standing room only, you know? Yeah. And Cassidy is sitting there left to wonder. He then has an interaction with Tulip who walks in and he says, you know, I'm best mates with this guy. And Tulip says, well, who's his favorite, who's his favorite movie star? Yeah. Ryan Philippe. <laughs> he guesses. Nope. <laughs> but comic book fans know that John Wayne is his favorite. John uh, Wayne is his favorite. And I'm going to put a plug in. If John Wayne shows up next season, he should be played by Sean Bean. Somebody please make that happen. I mean, just look at him. Yeah, and you and I know from personal experiences, Sean B knows how to ride a horse. He does. We've seen it live multiple times. We're, we've gonna, seen him. we're gonna let people just run with that. Just let them we've think. Seen, yeah, we've seen him ride the same two hundred yards about yeah. twenty times. No, but listen, I think you're right about Cassidy. I think what they've done with that character has been one of the highlights of the series, and he really has consistently called Jesse to the mat over this hypocrisy, which I think is all too common in in our own culture, where we ignore the way in which, you know, we've kind of condemned somebody to hell, but oh, let's go have our Bible study. But but Cassidy's Cassidy's overarching rule of life is live and let live. I mean, we've I've mentioned it here before. It's pure hedonism. And he says it in that final confrontation where he's sitting on in the in the shade on the steps. He's sitting in the shade and the steps in the front of the church. Jesse's in the sun. Uh, this is after they, um, you know, after the, the fire yep. in, in the oven and the sheriff comes looking for Eugene. Uh, Jesse walks the sheriff out and then Cassidy gets up and walks out with him, hits him in the face with a fire extinguisher. Trying to and then confronts him. To him. Yeah. And he basically says, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a live and let live guy. Like I'm, you know, I'm the worst. I'm the worst of all. I'm the worst sinner of all. Why don't you send me to hell? Why Eugene's a good kid. Why are you sending Eugene to hell? And Jesse says, "Well, because he, you know, he shot half a girl. He shot a girl's half her head off when she spurned his love, and then he tried to kill himself. You know, if anybody deserves to go to hell, he does." And Cassie's like, "Look at me. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing drugs. I'm, I, I'm yeah, lazy. I don't have a job. I'm sleeping around. You know, he doesn't say I slept with your girlfriend." Yeah. Um, and then in effort to show how how bad he really is, he walks out into the sun and starts on fire. 
Yeah. Which because he's because he's a vampire. So that's how he reveals to Jesse that he's a vampire, which, you know, Tulip has earlier confronted him on, like, how good of mates can you be if you've never told him you're a vampire? And, I just think and, it's interesting. But I found so Tulip calls him out. Tulip says, you know, you you're how good of friends are you? Because if you told him what we did, he'd kill you. And Cassie's response is, I don't know what his job is. I don't know what he does, but I don't think he's, you know, going around condemning people. Which and is, this a great, is so, which is a great uh, reminder of what our our preacher should and shouldn't be. So Cassidy's in this kind of morally ambiguous state where he's like, live and let live. I'm out for my own pleasure. Um, you know, he kills people, but he, but he never, he only kills people who are after him. Otherwise, he drinks the blood of people who are already dead or of a cow. He to, eats a hamburger. To, to heal himself, you know. With lots of ketchup. Yeah, right. He said him. Yeah, that's hilarious. And so he's kind of morally ambiguous is what I'm saying. And I wonder where does he have kind of the moral authority to confront Jesse and say, you need to do something for Eugene. Like you need to get Eugene back or help Eugene out. I'm here to help you. We got to figure this out. Jesse's response is, no, I don't. God must have a plan. And then we get back into this morally ambiguous spot where Cassie says there is no plan, you know, and Jesse says there's got to be a plan. That's why I've been given Genesis. And we're left with that right at the end of the episode because their conversation is basically unresolved because Cassidy walks out, starts Starts on fire. And then the next, we never see Cassidy again. We don't know if Jesse put out the flames or let him burn. Pretty um, sure pretty sure the, the showrunner's not gonna let him go. Yeah, he's too good of a character. I agree. Yeah. But I wanna I wanna I want I want us to reflect on this a little bit, this kind of morally ambiguous state that Cassidy is in where Yeah, tell me what you're on thinking. On one hand is like live and let live. Uh, I'm out I'm out I'm only looking out for number one. And on the other hand, he's like when when Jesse sent Eugene to hell, he knew that was wrong. And but the question is, on what basis does a hedonistic vampire determine that other things that these guys have done are not wrong, but that is wrong? Like Cassie seems to have a pretty good sense of of good and evil, even when Jesse seems to be losing that sense. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it, if there's something about his presence in time and through time that gives him some sort of authority in his mind. Like he's seen it all, experienced it all, and he knows what what that means. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm wondering where you're going in your mind with what what's drawing this kind of tension for you. Well, I'm thinking that there there's just there just seems to be something inherent in Cassidy, some kind of inner sense of good and evil that he's got. And he's able to see that. And I think in some ways, Jesse probably saw that too. But he is losing, like Genesis is shrouding him from that, which is, I've said this before. And I mean, talk about a great, you know, a great morality fable, Lord of the Rings. But that's exactly what the ring does to yes. Bilbo and to Frodo and yep. really to, and, and, and even more else. so to the human beings who, who put on the ring. Well, the, and the Smeagol too, who like it yeah. creates this being, you know. It, it just shrouds their ability to see good and evil clearly. 
And I think that Genesis is having that effect on Jesse and Cassidy. It's funny because he's reluctant to tell Jesse that what he did was wrong, but he's kind of like implying that to him or saying, let me help you out of this jam. Not, you know, he's surely not preaching to Jesse, but even that Jesse gets so mad about. And here's another thing that I thought was surprised me is that Jesse comes back in and he sees Tulip. He's carrying the fire extinguisher. He puts it down at Cassidy's spot at the table. He sits back down and he, and he says to Tulip, you knew what he, you, you know what he is. what he is. Yeah. You know, like he's, he's bad. He's because he's a vampire. He's bad deal. He's evil. And this is where I'm like, Jesse's unable to see past Cassidy's identity as a vampire to see Cassidy's exactly who he needs as a friend. And that's somebody to remind him what's, what's good and what's evil. No, I, I agree with that. I think, um, I didn't. I I was surprised. I I didn't think Jesse would be judgmental, but sure enough, that very thing with Cassie says, "I don't think he. I don't think his job is to walk around condemning people." It seems like he's about to do that very thing about Cassidy and tulips up. Yeah, because we said we said last week that there was a humility at work in Jesse over the first few episodes that has now been replaced by this kind of self confidence and this larger than life ego, which now it seems like in this latest episode is leading to a judgmental and potentially violent person. Yeah. So you could track this digression, so to speak, or this regression of his character from humble preacher to mega church wannabe to, you know, I'm going to let two people burn. Yeah. Because of the way I see the world. Yeah. I, I, I think that Jesse seems to have been really overtaken by Genesis and whether it's Genesis itself or him, or him, you know, we do see these flashbacks. We, we, there was m- more revealed about Jesse's past. We see him um, with Tulip. Yeah, they go way back. Kids, and then we see Tulip uh, taken away from him, which obviously was a scarring experience. Then we see his dad get beat up and his dad executed before his eyes. Yeah, and it's going to be a real – yeah, saying you know there are big plans for you, and we don't like we fight. That's what we do. We fight, which is interesting because that's not again what you would expect to come out of the mouth of a clergyman. Yeah, would, and yeah, and we're gonna and you're gonna. It's gonna be a real shock to viewers of who's behind his father's beating and kind of kidnapping and execution too. Yeah, yeah. I think there's one other thing to talk about from the episode, which is the very short scene before Quinn Cannon shows up to make his offer to Jesse and their, uh, the church rehearsal of the play, which is basically a lot (laughs) fleeing Sodom, (laughs) right? (laughs) which if you grew up in the South, you just, and you went to church, you just knew you were always going to be asked to be like in a church play, which was the most uncomfortable. I don't know that there's anything goofier than church plays, Right. Right, I agree. Yeah, I. But and have so, you ever heard of a church play based on Lot's wife being turned into a pillar of salt? <laughs> heck no. But now that you think about it, why not? I mean, that's an amazing. Uh, it's a great story, and there's a and there's this great line where they're playing it and they're hamming it up like so many people have have done in these types of plays. And I'm just pulling up this line that I I, I got from the from the show. 
And, you know, Jesse's sitting there watching it stone-faced, and Emily asks for his reactions, and he says, you know, I think they should be more scared. You know, they're fleeing this, yes. this, this destruction that God has kind of orchestrated, at least in their minds. And then he says, you know, otherwise, who gives a shit? Yeah, Jesse says, why are you smiling? Yeah. And you so I, I kept thinking about all the times in which, you know, I've read like, you know, growing up reading like kids versions of these stories or watching the songs that we sing about Noah and the ark and yeah, all these biblical stories, which at heart are deeply disturbing and uber violent. And yet we do it with a smile, like a wink and a smile. And you know, Jesse's like cut, sees through all this. He's like, "This is terrifying," and it need we need to tell it this way so people will actually take it seriously. And so I thought for a moment there's this kind of brief kind of acknowledgement of the way in which we interpret stories, the way that we kind of reenact them or reread them. You know, says a lot about us and obviously in our theologies and all that. But I, I thought it was interesting to find that little nugget in this show. It's something you talk about a lot, I know, but. Uh, it's popping up in this series a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I am. I love that the little vignettes like that. I really love what the creators are doing about church life. Like they're not. You know how sometimes you watch. Well, I don't know. You probably don't. But like up here in Minnesota, we watch hockey movies, and we're like, you can tell that the actors can't skate. I mean, sure. they. It's like they, they don't really understand hockey. Emilio Estevez can like you yeah. know barely skate. Mighty Ducks, this kind of thing. Yeah. But there are these little scenes like what like rehearsing for the church play like um, there's there's a scene uh, once early in this episode where it's shot from above and it's like the the welcome time in the church where it's like stand up and greet your neighbor. Sure. And it pans across the top like looking down on everyone. Everyone's shaking hands and hugging and saying good morning and. Peace, you know, peace of the Lord be with you. Yeah. And then, um, and then Ecclesi- it's, it's an ecclesiological m- mashup. It's an but, ecclesiological yeah. mashup. That's okay. Go ahead. Yeah, because um, then when Jesse finishes his sermon, which it's like he, he's up there preaching, he's got the biggest crowd he's ever had, and it's just he's, not what he wants it to be. Yeah, and he—you can tell he's like debating whether or not to invoke the voice of Genesis to mm-hmm. tell these people something. Yep. He decides not to, and just kind of abruptly ends his sermon, and then the woman gets up to lead the confession of sin, and it's. It is the confession of sin straight from the Episcopal Book of Common Prayer. Yeah. And asking for forgiveness for things done and things left undone, this kind of thing. It, you know, and, and and then the folding up of chairs and and even the dinner in the parsonage, you know, in the in the little church kitchen that is the kitchen to Jesse's house where Tulip makes him a dinner. There are a lot of little glimpses into that or the, um, you know, in, early in the episode when the young tulip goes into the supply closet to get something, you know, and yeah. ends up seeing something she shouldn't see, this kind of thing. So it, it's just, I like those little vignettes. I think the creators of the show have been very true to kind of the American church experience. Yeah, just the feeling of it and not necessarily the the theology behind it, but right. Yeah. And well, now the, what are you looking for for uh, next episode? You know, the, this episode ends with uh, Odin Quincannon leading his leading his people and a bulldozer straight toward the church because he's it's like he's going to take the church 
Yeah, you know, no matter. It's like what. a battle. It's a battlefield. Yeah, I, I think there's a final, but yeah. I think you're one of the final things to talk about about this episode and and seeing the creators kind of tip their hand about the the inspiration behind what they've been up to because we've talked about kind of the narrative risks, so to speak, that that the creators have taken in terms of plot and development. You know, because there's that great scene at the kitchen table where they're talking about movies and. Cassie's just bagging on this movie, but it turns out they're talking about the the Big Lebowski. Yeah, and and there's he's no like, plot. He's like, hey, you know, love the Coen Brothers, just don't start with Lebowski. So it's it's interesting to think about to look back on the first five, six, seven episodes of Preacher and kind of see that there there is that tone, that kind of narrative irreverence and yeah, kind of complex moral, th- even theological underpinnings to this series that you can find in a lot of the Coen brothers work. So yeah. uh, it'll be interesting to see if we can find some, some. They they pay homage to that. And they're obviously hedging their bets a little bit for the critics who are saying this show is relatively plotless. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. And they're cool it, with it. Yeah. Right. Because you, you think about, I mean, you know, people always said about things like there are certain shows like breaking bad or even the Sopranos where the plot is, secondary to the character development like it's a show about the character it's not a show you know it's a show about the metamorphosis of walter white it's not really a show about the actual plot and what happens from from one episode to the next and i wrote that as a note in this early in watching this week's episode of preacher is that they have taken what is a like kind of narratively or at least in terms of plot dynamic comic book series and really, really cemented it as this as a character drama yeah. with with Jesse, which is is fine. I mean, if you you know if you're willing to go there with them, I think it's rewarding. My only but, problem is that I have so much more insight into other characters' heads than I do into Jesse's head. That's, that's a good. Yeah, I felt like I knew. I mean, it, it was brilliant in The Sopranos to send Tony Soprano to a therapist, yes. right? Yeah, because you got to see inside of his head for five or seven minutes out of a, out of an hour long episode. Yep. And it kept you, you like, Oh my God, I can see the trauma that this guy is trying to deal with. And then when he shouts at his wife or, or wax, uh, you know, wax a guy or whatever, you're like, okay, you know, I know where this is coming from. We get these lit, we're getting, we got more than we ever have gotten in looking into Jesse's past and his childhood, but still it doesn't seem like enough because so much is, is shrouded from us as the viewers about what is motivating Jesse and why, you know, so I don't know. I'm, I, that's why I'm a little bit enamored of Cassidy and a little bit uh, disgruntled by the, the lack of knowledge I have about Jesse. Sure. Well, I think, I think looking forward, if we're talking about, you know, two, three episodes left in the season, you know, it's that uh, learning more about that and that past and any insight into, Jesse will be welcome again. Per- personally, I think I, I just love because I, I think we kind of know about who this is and, it, and it, they may shock us and it may not be him, but I would be surprised if it wasn't going back to Ratwater and what happens there. And maybe if there are they are making some intentional ties between Ratwater and Anvil. And then obviously for the next episode, the battle of. All Saints Congregational. You know, I want to say the battle for Bunker Hill, but like, what what's the showdown going to be? And is Jesse going to use Genesis 
uh, because the trailer for the next episode makes it look like he's going to have to give up Genesis to get Eugene back and maybe Cassidy back. So those, those are just a couple in terms of the events of the series that I hope are immediately addressed in the next episode. All right. Well, I three episodes to go. It's going to be fascinating to watch Preacher. I hope people are making it some I, people watch less TV in the summer, but hopefully they're making time for this one. And yeah, I mean, with uh, with less TV, I mean, this certainly does stand out. I mean, I personally, I like the show. I think it would stand out in the fall or, or be worth watching in the fall. But especially yeah. in the summer, hopefully people are, are sticking with it. This is Killer Serial signing off. We'll see you next week for Preacher Episode 8. What do you want, kid? It's about my dad. I want you to hurt him. You know it's a sin just to ask me that. I know. People said before you were a preacher, you did things. How hurt you want him? How far do I go? Problem is, your daddy's a big fella. He's gonna fight back. Things will escalate. That's what these things do. They escalate. And violence makes violence. Makes nothing much at all. Preacher! Enough! Almost done, Sheriff. Is that what you want, kid? Jesus, what kind of a preacher are you? <laughs>